Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as always with my colleague, my co-host, my friend, Ross Ferguson, academic advisor to Midwestern Seminary. How are you, brother? We're good, but I have a confession. Oh, well. And the confession is the last time we did podcasts together, you said I had to watch the new Indiana Jones movie. Oh, yeah. And I haven't. Oh, so, yeah, all is forgiven. Yeah. If you'll be faithful to confess I your cinematic <laughs> sins, I'll be I, faithful to I haven't them. watched Oppenheimer. I haven't watched Barbie. I haven't done films. So I feel like I have no reviews You know for what you also didn't do? Last night, me and two of the, uh, yeah, uh, the other ministry residents went to see the 50th anniversary showing of Enter the Dragon, yeah. Bruce Lee's classic kung fu movie. Uh, you know what struck me? And I, I haven't seen this movie since college. In my college years, I was into a lot of kung fu stuff, a lot of classic kung fu. Bruce Lee, Sonny Chiba, Jackie Chan, a bunch of stuff. And um, so I was eager to see it again, like to revisit this classic. The fight scenes compared to modern, yeah. the Jason Bournes and the John Wicks, mm. and the, they seem so slow yeah. and so, I'm going to say fake, <laughs> even though it's Bruce Lee. There's like kicks that don't connect yeah. and punches that are clearly aren't punches. And, and noises that shouldn't be there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And things <laughs> happening off screen that you get the effect like, oh, he broke that guy's neck. But you don't see it. You just see it in his face as yeah. he twists his leg. You know? <laughs> um, but we had a great time yeah. seeing the movie. There's there stuff that we unintentionally laughed at. There yeah. were things that we— Was there a 45-minute prelude to get to? No. no. And you know what? So I'm not going to name names, but his name rhymes with Bosif Jester. <laughs> he showed up uh, like seven minutes late saying I was expecting there to be 45 minutes of yeah. previews. No, 7 o'clock, the movie started. Oh, we got a go. little introduction from Leonard Malton talking yeah. about the movie— and the movie started at like 7.03. There you go. That's how to no, do no, it. No previews, no yeah. ads, nothing. It was the movie. I think they learned their lesson yeah. after the Lord of the Rings debacle yeah. with the 45 minutes of previews. Hey, you know, we were reviewing movies here. Let's talk about some reviews that mm-hmm. we have gotten. Gotten some good reviews and uh, one criticism. Someone's got a pet peeve about us. Yeah. I'll read that in just a second. This is a five-star review from... Nat Hand? Yeah, I read it as Nat Hand. Not Nathan? Nathan. Nat Hand? Something G like Nathan. G Nathan D. Who mm-hmm. knows? Mm-hmm. Encouraging listening, he says. Hashtag Ross got mentioned. Hashtag Jared got a review. <laughs> I like to use your episodes as a springboard to talk about the church with friends from back in Arkansas. All joking aside, love the really joyful nature of the podcast. Lifts up my mood every time. I love the friendly banter and pastoral counsel of the podcast. You guys make my day a little brighter and a little wiser whenever you drop a new episode. It's a blessing to have you both as church members and as a pastor, Jared. Mm, so it's somebody from Liberty. Uh-huh. Who's Nat Hand? Nat Hand. <laughs> we need know. to just go into church on Sunday and just go, Nat Hand, and see who turns around. I mean, I know we have got a couple of nations. A couple Nathans. of nations. Okay, anyway, we'll figure it out. This comes from the James M22 FTC podcast, more like FTW, which stands for, I think, for For the Win. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Maybe. This podcast is great. Five stars. Shout out to Ross. He's a man of great intellect. In this podcast, <laughs> you may hear him pronounce with astounding accuracy heavy theological words like pneumatology, ecclesiology, propitiation, and others with his deep Scottish accent. 
You also hear him struggle to say the word bread. <laughs> <laughs> say the word bread. No. <laughs> I don't even remember how you say it. It's when I'm doing communion. I'll okay. say bled instead of bread. Oh, or the I'll bled. Say, he I bro- got it. He broke bed I instead of bread. I thought it was like bread. breed or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> Pneumatology and breed. Breed. All right. Jared is a better uh-huh. podcaster than he is a writer? What does that mean? I've only carved a career out of writing. James, I, I'm I'm a little hurt, actually. I'm a better podcaster than I am a writer. Read into that as little or as much as you would like. I would like to read as little as possible into that. Seriously, though, I'm just assuming he's joking. I don't. I have enjoyed this podcast over the last month or so since I've started listening. You both do a great job. Well, thank you, the James M. And you should read more of my books. I'm a better writer than I am a podcaster. Pastor Lance, FCC. Pastor Lance, FCC, says it would be five stars, but. But. And he gives us a four, four star. Four star. Review. That is the only non five star review is we've it? had. Oh, I think if you go back a ways, oh, you'll no, find some you've had. Oh, you've come had on. one star. Uh, Me and you have only had five stars. I'm giving you three stars right now. You're, oh. you're a little high on yourself. <laughs> I love most of this podcast. Ooh, all right. It's, it's starting out shaky. I'm getting mm-hmm. nervous. The hosts offer Christ-centered, gospel-focused advice with humility and grace. All right, so Here far comes so good. Slap. Should be a five-star podcast were it not for the Pet Peeve series. We just uh, recorded an we episode. Just, um, just skip the last one, Pastor Lance. The hosts admit that pet peeves by nature are matters of opinion, but then proceed to be adamant that people need to stop doing their pet peeves. <laughs> well, that's what a pet peeve is, man. I don't know. It, it would be bad podcast if we were like, hey, if you think about it, you could not do this. Uh, I listen every week, he goes on to say, and can't wait for each episode to come out. Keep up the good work for the church and for Christ. Well, thank you for the four stars, Pastor Lance. And you'll be happy to know, so we just recorded a Pet Peeve episode, which would actually have come out last week, I guess, according to the schedule. You probably skipped that episode, but you'll be happy to know that's the last we're doing. We're not doing any more pet peeves. Nope, no more pet peeves. Um, they're can, actually a very popular series, I think. But we're can I have a pet peeve about Pastor Lance? Our pet peeve is. Uh, I, I have a pet, pet peeve of Pastor Lance. Okay, uh, Pastor Lance does not like the pet peeve episodes, and then he says, "I listen every week and can't wait for each episode to come out." Which one okay. is it, Pastor Lance? <laughs> Do you love every episode? Okay, or not every episode? <laughs> I have a pet peeve about that. I think like your yes be yes and speech. your no be no. <laughs> okay, well, okay, that'll be the last pet peeve. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I want to bring back Jared's beefs at some point, but we'll stop orienting whole episodes around on a beef around and pet beefs peeves. and pet peeves. Yep. Okay, so the, the the congregation pet peeves, which was last week's, will be our last one. Um, let's do the opposite of pet peeves. Mm-hmm. So these are not authors that annoy us, but these are the most influential authors. In our life, I thought it might be cool just to kind of toss around a little bit the authors, Christian or otherwise, I mm-hmm. suppose, who have most influenced us and I would think sort of have built us up in our Christian yeah. walk. Um, yeah, I mean, we both so, read, we did like books. That I was about to say, read. when you know, you had the books, and I thought you had noted down the authors. I thought that's interesting because it's like we're not just seeing a single book, we're seeing authors generally. Yes. Um, and when I th- sat down, I came up with four. I got four as well. And four in very different points of ministry life. Oh, okay. So they yeah. they were influential at a particular time. Gotcha. Maybe not as influential now, but certainly at that time. So do you want to go kind of backwards and forwards through the four each? 
Sure. What does that mean, backwards and forwards? As in, I, <laughs> I say one. Forwards and backwards. Forwards and backwards. Backwards and forwards. <laughs> Folks, we don't prepare at all before. <laughs> we just, we just well, come we and talk. We each have notes. We just don't, we just we don't, don't tell them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, okay. do you want to go first and then I go? What that means is you go, I go, you go, I go. Okay, until okay. we're finished. You yeah. Go. Well, my first one was a no-brainer. It, it, it was yourself you, for some of these. Yeah, that's me. Uh, I'm a better writer than I am a podcaster. Um, for some of these, like I'm looking at my shelves, going, "Okay, I have a whole shelf in my bookcase for this guy. Mm. I, I have to put him down." And others, like you, I can look at certain points in my life and go, "This is the guy." Mm. So I'll talk about that a little bit as well. But there's one that's just all-encompassing from childhood into adulthood who I just consider my master in some ways, especially in terms of literature, and it's C.S. Lewis. I yep. don't know how I could not include yep. C.S. Lewis. I, I remember reading the Chronicles of Narnia as a kid in my uncle's guest bedroom, which he had set up as a library with all these winding bookshelves. Like, it was crazy. As a little kid, it felt gigantic, and I'm sure it really wasn't a big room, but he had all these bookshelves, and I sat on the floor and devoured mm. over a, a family vacation to their home. The Chronicles of Narnia. And then in high school, my my grandmother gave me a copy of God in the Dock collection mm-hmm. of essays. And particular essays in there, like Myth Became Fact and things like that, just it was like putting on glasses for, you know, and be like, oh, I didn't realize I could I couldn't mm-hmm. see that well. Lewis just did something and continues to do something for me. Every time I read him, I want to write like him. I want a career like his in terms of like he does fiction, nonfiction, mm-hmm. criticism, different things. I, I want to be varied like he mm-hmm. is varied. I want to be prolific like he's prolific. And this the impact of Lewis, I just think. We could go on and on this yeah. whole podcast about C.S. Lewis, but he's just the pinnacle for me. Yeah. My first of all, I'm going to start right at the beginning of ministry. Okay. So I'm going to kind of work through the podcast through ministry today. Okay. And so the first author that was influential to me in ministry was John MacArthur. And there's a particular reason for it. So when I entered the ministry, I was in my early 20s, hadn't gone to seminary and, you know, often felt out of my depth in terms of writing sermons and different things. And I found MacArthur's commentary series, make it very clear, don't agree with everything that I was reading. And you don't have to agree with everything of an author to, to like and be influenced by that author. But his commentaries, I just found so easy to follow. Mm. The fact that they were verse by verse, that they were often word by word, and it just really helped me understand. So a lot of commentaries you don't necessarily read from cover to cover, but I found that I could with MacArthur's in those early days. And particularly I found that when I would struggle to understand things myself, MacArthur would give one view and and it often gave me the courage to research a little bit more actually, this might not be as complicated as I first thought. Mm. So if I read MacArthur, I thought, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's what it means. I would feel the confidence to go and read somebody else. Or if, oh, that that's great. Let me see if other people agree with that. And I just found his commentary series really accessible. And so you're going back into you know my first church, first set of sermons of just being able to go, actually, there is a commentary series that I feel like I can get quite a lot from. So it, was, it influenced my early preaching, uh, not always positively. And I think sometimes you can be negatively influenced by something, but it was certainly still influential in my life. I was probably more hard-lined in the early days. And again, probably because I was reading a lot of MacArthur. MacArthur does tend to be a little bit more on the hard-line side of things. Yeah, But just generally being able to open a commentary and gain confidence uh, was very helpful to me. And I would definitely say was 
a kind of companion uh, in the early years of ministry. So this is an interesting setup for my next influential author. You mentioned commentaries. And like a lot of guys who have a lot of books, I've got all these sets. Mm. Sometimes people give you a set. Sometimes you buy sets thinking, oh, I need this commentary set or I need this reference set. And they sit on my shelves and I use every other book but something the out set. of these sets. Yeah. Um, when I was first, when I was licensed for ministry, 1996, Becky bought me, I think this is before we were even married, she bought me a little Bible and had it engraved Reverend Jared Wilson on there as a licensing gift. And she bought me a set of the pulpit commentary, uh-huh. yeah. which I have not used in probably 18 years. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, and even when I was using it, I was, it it's just, just a set that looks good on my, on my shelf. But there is one voice that I use almost in every—I consult him in every sermon, even mm-hmm. if I don't quote him. If he has commentary on the passage, I'm looking at it, and it's John Calvin. Yeah. I would not say John Calvin—I mean, he is an influence on me as a theologian. I've read the Institutes, et cetera, and some other things. I wouldn't say, like, he would be in the top five necessarily of, uh, like, theological influences, mm-hmm. or I'm a big John Calvin fan, per se. Yeah. But reliability, yeah. pointing to Christ— Faithful exposition, any sermon I'm preaching, I'm pulling Calvin's commentary off the shelf. It's the most used set in my office, and his mm-hmm. voice speaks into every single sermon that I preach. Again, even if I'm not quoting him, I'm looking at what he has said about that passage, yeah. if he has said anything about that passage. I'm stuck right now because he there's no commentary on Ecclesiastes. We just started <laughs> Ecclesiastes at Liberty Baptist, and so I can't get his voice there unless there's some random pieces I find online or something. But I just, it, it's, he writes, uh, or at least the translation I have is, it's not overly technical. It's mm. not, it's just very edifying. Yeah. In some ways, devotional. Mm. When I first read the Institutes, I was struck by actually how devotionally it yeah. read. Because I, I was at, like, Institutes of the Christian yeah. religion, you know. I'm like, I'm going to be a real big egghead reading this thing. And, of course, there's a lot of depths of theology there. But I just was struck by, like, how artful it was and how yeah. beautiful it was. So, yeah, I'm going to say Calvin mainly because of his commentaries. Mm. Love Calvin's commentaries. My my third one will be an older author. Okay. <laughs> but I'm, I seem like I'm on a, on newer, newer track here. The next one, a bit out of left field here, uh, Tom Rainer. Okay. Um, Interesting. So Tom Rainer was really influential to me during—so I served two particular churches that were in revitalization context, you know, just years of issues within the church— and kind of one of these situations where you have to turn it upside down and turn it back again, see what still stands and what you can work with. So books like I Am a Church Member, just basics of what it means to be a church member, becoming a welcoming church, simple church, uh, even to some extent that the book Autopsy of a Deceased Church, what, what okay. does it actually look like when, when things are failing? What does it look like if things are going well? You know, how do you actually change things? But that Rainer's research as well as writing really helped me understood, if I can put it bluntly, simplicity of church. Mm. You know, I remember one uh, thing he wrote about was, you, you know, the welcoming, becoming a welcoming church, a, a book he, he wrote, and he, he wrote some extra things on that. And he talked about just the website being welcoming, the car park being welcoming, the front door being welcoming before you've even got to the church body being welcoming. Um, and just that really helped me a lot in revitalization days. You know, when you're, when you're thinking, oh, I need a 101 different ministries to try and revitalize the situation, breathe life into this church, Tom was almost reining me back in. 
saying, no, 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 that's, that's not what we do. We're not making a big show. Let's look at some fundamentals. What does it actually mean to be a member of this church? And how does Christ flow through us in our welcoming to others? How do we make church simple again, where it's the love of Christ, love of his people, and loving of the lost? So he was really influential and, and kind of almost reining back my youthful naivety of trying to revitalize a church through events and ministry, where Rainer's books were helping me kind of uh, understand that it doesn't need to be like that. And in yeah. fact, actually, long-lasting revitalization won't be like that. It will be returning to the simplicity of basic church doctrines. So yeah, Rainer's up there. I've also used his I Am A Church Member book in multiple talks and in, in, in multiple avenues and share it regularly with people, but specifically the Becoming a Welcoming Church, that was really helpful. All these books are really small and kind of really easy to kind of access. And I found they were then easy to hand to people. If somebody said to me, you know, you're changing things with membership and I would be able to say, well, here's the biblical context. And by the way, here's Rainer's book. He's really good at just kind of pulling out in a really simple way, small yeah. book, you can read it through. So it's not, I'm not talking deep theologian. I'm not talking, you no, know, Calvin yeah. Institutes, but these are just small things that reminded me, don't make pastoring complicated. No, if they've influenced you, they've influenced yeah. you. And if they've they've shaped in some way or been instrumental at certain points of your life, my next two are kind of like that yeah. as, as well. I, I remember, and I've read some of Rainer's, I've read more of his resources online mm-hmm. than I have his his books, but one book of his that I read that I was really influenced by or helped by at least was with Eric Geiger called Simple Church. Yep. yep. This is when I was really good. When I was planting and was thinking through I was coming out of the attractional world and was just thinking like, how do we just major on the majors yeah. and just really strip this down? Like what's the essence of church? Yeah. And I mean we came up with like we're gonna do worship, community, mission. That's and those are the only three things we're gonna do. We're gonna have a community service project every month. We're gonna be engaged in our local community. We're going to have community groups where we grow in fellowship and Bible study with each other. And we're going to have a worship gathering. And that's yeah. it. Yep. No big programming, nothing else. And Simple Church was a real help to that because mm-hmm. they kind of pull, I mean, they pull from the business world and things. Maybe a little more pragmatic than I would have liked. But the idea mm-hmm. was, I think, really helpful. Mm-hmm. And there were some things that I learned even from some of the attractional church examples that they pulled from that I think that a lot of churches could, yeah. could stand to use. Uh, so my next one is sort of a particular—I still admire this fellow. I, again, I wouldn't say his theology is a huge influence to me, but there was a particular time in my life where I was first exposed to his writing mm-hmm. and began to devour all of his writing, and it came at the right time for me. This is around the time of kind of my gospel wakefulness, which is going to sound funny to some folks, but it's N.T. Wright. Huh. Uh, yeah, the good—yeah, <laughs> the, the right reverend, very canon, yes. whatever is— N.T. Wright. So not necessarily his justification uh-huh. views, but his historical Jesus stuff. Hmm. And so there was a fellow, I used to work in the Baptist bookstore ages ago, and one of my coworkers there was really into N.T. Wright. And he said, you know, you've got, like, if you want to see the Gospels freshly, you really should read some N.T. Wright. Mm-hmm. So I picked up this book called The Original Jesus, which is a very simple, in fact, I think, he he writes his popular level books under the name Tom, yeah. Tom Wright, and then his academic stuff is N.T. Wright. I think it's Tom Wright on the original Jesus. It's glossy pages, lots of photos where he just kind of works through the four Gospels and mm-hmm. just kind of puts them in cultural context and historical context and geographical. I still remember the line from the book. He said, the Jordan River Valley is the lowest place on earth. If you wanted to go any deeper, you'd have to dig. Yeah. 
And I remember that because we just, I just was at the, you know, in the Holy Land with Midwestern faculty a couple of weeks ago. And I would just, like some of the right stuff was coming back. Mm -hmm. But his stuff on the historical Jesus just took glosses off of years of evangelical facade and motivational, you know, inspirational kind of cliches and sentimentality and all of the fake Jesuses. Very influential on my very first book, which is called Your Jesus is Too Safe. I probably quote him a few times in that book, but his work was hugely influential there because that book emerged from a series that I preached at our church plant that was basically on the historical Jesus, sort of like 12 weeks in the series was called The Unvarnished Jesus, I think. And basically, like, let's take off these sort of popular cultural, you know, facades, glazes off of Jesus and see Mm -hmm. him in the Gospels in their context. And it it just, he rejuvenated my love. You know, I almost could have put Dallas Willard here because he and Willard both, especially as it pertains to like Sermon on the Mount Mm -hmm. and some of the contextual stuff with the Gospels, just for as a kid who grew up in church, reading these same passages for years, for decades, hearing them in a kind of a moralistic type way, it was like they became vivid as, Mm -hmm. I mean, almost as three-dimensional in my brain as they could get seeing them this way. And so I would highly recommend Wright's work on the historical Jesus and and some of like the early Christian origin stuff. So the series, I forget what the series is called, but it's New Testament and the people of God, the resurrection of the Son of God. Mm -hmm. And I'm probably getting one of those wrong. There's a title I'm missing. Jesus and the Victory of God, I think is the second book. I read those big three. They're academic, but he's looking at like the search for the historical Jesus He's one of the few sort of respected historical, you know, historians mm-hmm. in the kind of Jesus seminar mm-hmm. type stuff that actually, you know, believes in the historicity of the resurrection yeah. and the, the 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 basic tenets of Christian orthodoxy and those sorts of things, so, which is, you know, stunning. But his work on the resurrection in particular, the resurrection of the Son of God, that big book, I mean, yeah. I, I would so recommend that if you just want— to really know your stuff about mm. how and why Jesus was raised and how we can really trust that Jesus was raised bodily. It's interesting for my next one, I was thinking about as I was coming out of early revitalization. So the church is, it's been simplified. It's, it's starting to grow. What was I reading a lot at that time and what was really helpful? And if it was a single book, I would have said the reformed pastor Baxter. That's when I read okay. it kind of coming out of that. So this was several years ago, uh, but but thinking more author rather than a single book, it would be Spurgeon. And so Spurgeon, there, there was two specific things that I was reading at the time of Spurgeon's sermons and just realizing how focused on Christ he always was and just the beauty of somebody that would preach Christ. And I think we have a similar view on this from from any passage of scripture. Right. And, and just really astounding that, so my sermons at the time were a lot more pragmatic and a lot more like, do's and don'ts. And I was seeing that that wasn't really helping people and I was just laboring them. And Spurgeon was helping me kind of come out of that. So his sermons, reading, just reading through them were, were helpful, but specifically the lectures to my students was, we actually read it for your class, um, yeah. which was great to re- read it in an academic sense because prior to that I was reading just in personal. But the thing that strikes me every time when I read Spurgeon is that he doesn't seem to labor over the job. Like it seems to be mm. a joy to him to write and to plead and to preach and to 
engage and uh, you know we're sitting right next to the quote the Spurgeon Library, library. Yeah. and I'm not just saying this because this is where we're sitting but it is astounding how much he took in and how much he gave out and to me kind of positive revitalization things are are getting stronger in the church and realizing pragmatism isn't going to take me very far Spurgeon really helped me in his writing to have a depth to what I was seeking to do That's good. and that depth was ultimately Christ-centered. Um, so for me, Spurgeon was my push into all things Christ-centered. Mm. But Baxter was kind of there too, but it was yeah, more yeah, yeah. just the Reformed Pastor book specifically. But Spurgeon was the one. And and I know we have just published, I think, as a seminary or, or Dr. Chang or Dr. Allen have just published the Lost Sermon. I think it was Dr. Chang published the Lost Sermons of Spurgeon. Yes. I haven't read through that yet. I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of working through that. That's bit. excellent. Well, and, and, and Jason Allen, our, our president, has just released a new edition of lectures to my students. Yeah. You know, some of the, I don't, I think some of the language is, is updated and, and we're using that now as the standard text okay. in, in, my, in my class as well. All last right. one. Last one. Yeah. My last one. This guy's just a gift to the church. As I look at my shelves and I think back on ministry and Christian life and just think at every step of the way, when I was wrestling with a particular topic, a ministry issue, everything from like, how do I know I'm studying the Bible right? Mm -hmm. To, I've got people in my church who are charismatic and they want to know why we can't have speaking in tongues. And like, what do I do about that? Any question, any topic, any issue, ministry, theology, commentary, cultural, this guy's been there every step of the way for me. I think he's the MVP of modern, (laughs) of the gospel-centered movement. It's D.A. Carson. Oh, yeah. I mean... D.A. Carson, he f- kind of flies under the radar a little yeah, he bit because um, he's not a big showy guy. He gives good, you know, conference messages and things, but he's not a fiery preacher. He's not a pa- he's not he's not a John Piper. Mm. He's not, you know, but he's just been so faithful and so reliable. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can go back twenty some years, and I remember the first book of his I read, which is not what I would recommend as somebody's first introduction to him, is Exegetical Fallacies. <laughs> And again, I think this was a bookstore recommendation. I'm yeah. just with a bunch of Bible nerds at the Baptist bookstore, and somebody was like, "You got to read Exegetical Fallacies." I'm like, "All right, sounds like I don't even you know I don't even yeah. know what that means, but I'll read it." <laughs> and I got to the end of the book, and I thought, I'll ne- "I don't even know if I can read the Bible again because all these things I do wrong." It was basically yeah. it's a list of all the ways we misinterpret the scriptures, but it also it strengthened me and yeah. helped me like, oh, be on guard against these you know anachronistic fallacies mm-hmm. and just all these other things that I would try to do. And then, you know, in the nuts and bolts, or just in the nitty-gritty of ministry, um, Carson's work is there. His short book on Philippians, his, mm-hmm. uh, his short book on 1 Corinthians, his, his commentary on John in the Pillar series. I mean, it's just so much that, like, yeah. he's just tried and true. I mean, he, he is the MVP for me. I go yeah. back, and he's not showy, so I don't have a whole—I don't have a bookshelf that's like, he's all the Carson books. He's just sort of he's peppered all in over, yeah. all yeah. over the space. He's in my commentaries. He's in Christian living. He's in the Bible study. He's in cultural with gagging of God. He's, yep, in, gagging he's of God. in all these places. And I've read all of these books, yeah. and I have to go, oh, yeah, yeah. Carson. Yeah. He's been there every step of the way. Yeah. It's sort of like when you only saw one set of footprints, <laughs> it was then that Carson carried you. <laughs> no, but that's, yeah, yeah, he's just a gift, yeah. and, and I don't want to overlook him, so I'm going to put him at my fourth I've spot. I've got his, he edited a whole Bible commentary, yes. um, and that's, I use that fairly often, yes. simple, accessible. I love, by the way, his conference speaking. 
And yeah. I, I went to a conference once and, you know, everyone says be dynamic, you know, engage with your, your audience, all this sort of stuff. He just stood there and said, and this is, he didn't move from the pulpit. He, there was no dynamism. He went, I've got 20 points. It's one hour. Buckle <laughs> up. Let's go. He'll take his glasses um, off. That's about the that's variation about you'll get. Yeah. But it is. <laughs> Come he, around and kind of stand, stand on the side it, of the pulpit. Yeah. Astounding speaker. Okay. I have a caveat before this one. Oh, all right. I like it. I have not just said this. Okay. I've not just put it in for the sake of putting it in. Okay. Yourself. Oh, my word. <laughs> so I have literally I put did, in my I, notes, okay. Jared C. Wilson. Okay. All right. um, and folks, I've not just said this because he's across <laughs> the way from me or because he's paid me under the table for this. But genuinely, I did the same thing as you. I looked at my shelves and I thought, through the last 10 years of ministry, who have I read and who have been influential at different times? And where you're seeing Carson as kind of like petered all the way through your bookshelves, I was thinking about it. Through the last 10 years of ministry, your books have come up at different occasions and have been things. And, and there's three three things I would say is, is number one, for me personally, I struggle with books that don't point me to Christ at each mm. point. So I really struggle with try this, do this, think this, and it's not overtly Christ-centered. So that that's a book I struggle with, where evidently your books do the exact opposite of those books. And it's something that I've always found in your books that when you read, it's so easy to get to Christ. And that is our answer to all struggles. Yeah. It is also our answer to all joys. So that's number one in terms of influence. I mean, when I read it, I think this is just easy to read because it's always taking me to Christ. It's not that it's your writing's amazing. Uh, it's, <laughs> I'm a better podcaster it's a better than podcaster, a writer, apparently. But it's the pointing to Christ. Like that's the, that's the best we can do is point people mm. to Christ. Second thing, pastor's justification was huge for me, just reading through it. I read it actually at the same time as Unparalleled. And oh. just the two of them together, I don't know why, but the two of them together really helped me in ministry. It was a very particular tough point in ministry that it helped. And then during class, just what, a year ago, we did gospel-driven ministry, yeah. um, which I used to call something else. And I'm not allowed <laughs> to call because someone else nicked that name. Um, but for me, here, here's the thing. When, when I want to read and I want to be influenced by that reading, I want to know where it's taking me before it's taking me there. Does mm. that make sense? I don't know. As in, for instance, when you're reading Carson, you know you're going to get something deep and theological. You just kind of know that's yeah. that's how he writes. With Lewis, you, you you know you're going to get a bit of realism because of his journey to faith as well. I think when we read your books, we know we're going to get the gospel. And it's almost like that where is that excitement of what am I going to see in Christ here? What what mm. am I going to learn about Christ? How am I going to be pointed to Christ? And so like on my bookshelves, we're 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 building a collection. Um, <laughs> I, I buy from all the people that get rid of your books. Of course. So, you know, that. No shame um, in that game. And if I have duplicates, I pass them to my mother. That's her birth, birthday <laughs> present. Here's another Jared C. Wilson. But I'm not just saying that. I, I think there's several guys in the pastoral training center. I know they've shared this, that when we read your books, we are pointed to Christ and that's what we need. And I think every pastor serving, and I think over the last 10 years, you need that reminder almost weekly yeah. of just where are you looking and who are you looking at to look at you? Is it the congregation, the attractional side, or is it Christ and you're doing this for Christ and he's looking to you? So yeah, I'm not just saying that. You've got how many books? Too many. <laughs> uh, but people, I haven't read 
yours and Becky's book yet, okay. which I feel really bad about. Well, you're not in your 20s. so you No. Know, Whoa, you yeah. go straight there. Uh, <laughs> Maybe it'll prepare you. You could do 30 things in your 30s. I've said this to you before yeah. you should do that. I got to twist Becky's arm to do that. That's very kind, Ross. I was not expecting that. I appreciate that very much. $100 can come in a gift card. Okay. <laughs> We'll put that in the marketing budget for sure. (laughs) Dear listener, if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.